Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! One down, three to go. Welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. It was a nervy, stressful 120 minutes, but the Reds came out on top to win the record breaking ninth League Cup final. My name is Luke, and I'm here with James, as always, to talk all things Liverpool. How are you doing, mate? Slightly hungover, sleep <laughs> deprived, but yeah, yeah, you just never get tired of seeing that Hendel shuffle, do you? No, it was absolutely, you know, wonderful to see. After almost three hours from kickoff, we eventually got to see that magical scene um, and another trophy in in the cabinet. We were talking last week about, you know, Jurgen Klopp's lack of domestic cups during his tenure, but that was put right yesterday and, and you know, it was just a wonderful day, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I think to see the scenes when, obviously, if once we lifted the trophy and the players get back on the pitch with it, um, even the likes of Minamino was getting his 30 seconds of, of the spotlight on him and, you know, it's just nice to see all the players coming together um, and the, the relief for them as well. I think, you know, if you get to a final... Definitely want to win it. I don't think it's a couple of people would have set out to to go out and win at the beginning of the season. So for them to to go and win something, like I said, this can be a a massive confidence boost going into a title race and going up to pick other trophies. And I think that's something that we spoke about last week about this Liverpool team is for, for how good they've been. There's been a lack of trophies and medals around the necks to show just how good they have been. And, you know, I think any side who's, going down as being the greatest in Premier League history or, or whatever, has always got a, a big collection of trophies to back it up. And Liverpool now are just adding another one to the cabinet. So that's five now for Jurgen Klopp and, and six full seasons at the club. So, you know, it, 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 it is you know, putting more of a stamp on. He's creating a, a real dynasty of a team. Yeah, and fingers crossed it's just the first of a couple more in, in 2022. Um, but let's get into, you know, the kind of the game itself then. Obviously, it was nil-nil in um, the 90 minutes and then extra time and then it went to the penalty shootout which I think both Liverpool fans and Chelsea fans were probably hoping before the game it didn't get that far because you know it's always so so much more nervy when when that happens and then it literally went down to the final kick um, 11-10 Liverpool went on penalties all 11 Liverpool players are on the pitch had to take one and they, they all scored it and then Kepera um, comes on for Chelsea and, and and misses his kick it was it was a bizarre Game in many ways for a nil-nil, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it had what Chelsea had four goals disallowed. Liverpool had a goal disallowed. Um, Thiago doesn't even get a minute on the pitch despite being named in the starting lineup. So straight away there was chaos <laughs> going through Liverpool's fans' minds before a ball was kicked, especially with the change to the starting eleven. But you know, I think everyone who played, you know, played really well. I don't think there was a, a poor performance on the pitch. I just think. You know, for the nil-nil, you were looking at two of possibly the best four or five teams in Europe at the moment going head-to-head and really cancelling each other out. It wasn't a boring nil-nil. It's probably the most entertaining nil-nil you're ever going to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, um, I think where Liverpool probably got it, well, they got it right in the penalty shootout, but a lot of uh, the defenders and the, went in higher up the pecking order. So we saw Van Dijk taking it early on. We saw Robertson, so Trent took the third one. Fabinho took the second one, so we left ourselves in a good position where you know, we had some really good penalty takers towards the end of of the uh, the rounds. Um, but yeah, just 
can't really explain it, you know, for for them to win a trophy this early on in the season. It's weird. I don't think any other club, any other uh, league in the world has a club com- competition this early in a season. Um, so to win something this early, like you said, there's still three off for grabs. And it was a very encouraging performance from Liverpool. Um, and I think now we're starting to see how this team performs in finals. Because, um, you know, the Champions League final, we didn't play great, but we didn't need to. And I think yesterday, despite us playing really well, you know, there's still another gear for Liverpool and for them to be picking up trophies and not getting out of second gear, third gear. It's uh, it's very, really promising. Yeah, and obviously it was nice to see some of the, the guys who hadn't experienced winning a, winning a trophy yet get their first one at Liverpool, at Jota and Simicas, et cetera, and Thiago as well. Um, we'll come into a bit more detail on the kind of nitty-gritty decisions of the, of, of the game a bit later on in the show, but... The story of the day really was Cuevan Kelleher, wasn't it? You know, we talked a lot about him and this decision over the last few weeks to, to play him in this final, whether it was the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do. Um, personally, I, I wasn't that comfortable with it. Um, I think, you, you know, you were similar. But Klopp, as always, is right, isn't he? And, and Cuevan was the hero of the day, scores the, the 11th penalty that proves to be the one that wins it. And... You know, you can't fault his performance in the match either. A couple of really important saves, one from Pulisic very early on. Um, we had another one with his legs from Lukaku um, when the players were probably getting a bit leggy towards the end. Um, and, and, and yeah, he's rightly, he's getting all the headlines. Yeah, I think it's it was a wonderful performance from him. He, he did not put a foot wrong. I think, yeah, like you said, we both said you know, in, the, in last week's pods that we were saying we'd rather have Alisson in there. I think it what was leading me towards that decision was he didn't look that confident at home against Cardiff in the FA Cup. There was a few moments where he was slicing clearances and uh, he could have been sent off uh, for his, his last man tackle. And I just thought to throw him into a final in front of 80, 90,000 fans, biggest game of his career. And he didn't play against Leeds, which we said he needed to play against Leeds. You can't go throwing him in cold. And then, you know, he goes and does what he does. I think that save from Pulisic, uh, I was on my way back to the table in the pub and I looked up and I saw that and I thought, yeah, maybe I don't know that much about football, to be honest with you, if he's, if he's pulling stuff like that out. But, um, you know, the cup competitions like this are always, there's always one story about you know, a lad who can't get in the first team and always seems to shine in a cup competition. Um and like you said, we've got a really good number two that seems more than happy to, to know that the league and the FA Cup competitions are probably his and Alisson's going to play the league and the Champions League. Doesn't kick up a force, just trains really well. And even Alisson's come out and said, Klopp came out in his interview at the end of the game and said, uh, Alisson said, that's nice. Maybe we can get him on the legendary wall yeah. when we win it. So um, I just think the team spirit around there you know, is incredible, especially with goalkeepers. It can be a lonely position. You're on your own for most of the game. Um, and you know, only one of you can play. It's it must be a hard thing being a number two goalkeeper. You've got to have the right, right mentality and fair play to him. What a performance! I know he didn't save a penalty, um, but he took a penalty like a striker, and that's all you can ask really of him. And yeah, I think he he might just start pushing Klopp for a couple more league starts, maybe during the squad rotations. You know, midweek games. You know, I think he can certainly be knocking on the door and deserves all the credit that's being thrown at him. Yeah, absolutely. And Klopp, obviously full of praise for him um, after the game and, and he's described him as the best number two in, in world football. So it's not much higher praise than that, really. What do you what do you make of that? Do you think 
that's that's true or is there others out there that you you know would say they're probably a bit better than oh, I think other teams will have arguments one the United fans will say Dean Henderson on his day can be a really good goalkeeper but you know he's come out in the press and tried to instigate moves during January so I think what makes the best number two goalkeeper is they come in and do a job and they keep the mouth shut in terms of speaking to the media and kicking up a fuss like I said it's a lonely position and Goalkeepers want to play it week in, week out because if you're not, you know you're on the bench for 90 minutes unless something freakish happens on the pitch. Um, but definitely in the Premier League, I can't think of a of a better number two um, in terms of if their name is on the team sheet. I'm not worried at all. I'm going into that game thinking he's still going to put a solid eight out of ten performance in. Um, and I, I, I can't, I'm just trying to think now with other backup goalkeepers in the Premier League, I can't think of a a goalkeeper who probably breathes that much. Chelsea fans were probably confident when Kepa came on. Um, but He's got a good record in penalty shootouts, to be fair. You know, a lot has been made of that decision, obviously, because it didn't work out and he was on that missed. But he has got a fairly good penalty um, record, which is obviously why Tuchel made that decision. Yeah, I think they won two penalty shootouts on the way to the final and he was in goal for the, for the, the two of them. So, yeah... Um, I, I can't think of a better number two in the league at the moment. And I think it just goes to show the, the academy is starting to really churn out some, some serious talent in the last couple of years. Yeah. And another thing that Klopp mentioned was that when he was talking about this decision to put Kelleher in, he said, while being a football manager is normally quite a, I guess, quite a brutal cutthroat business, there is room for sentimentality and there is room for a bit more emotion, I guess, which is something that, you know, we know Klopp's that kind of guy. We could only have to take a look at how tight-knit the squad is and how delighted everyone is for Kelleher and 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 whoever. Um, that's something that we've kind of said before is maybe one of Klopp's weaknesses as well of his strengths is that he's so sentimental and he puts so much faith in these guys. Like maybe he keeps people around a bit too long in terms of new contracts and stuff. But looking at the scenes yesterday at the end of the game when we're seeing the likes of, you know, Harvey Elliott and Minamino and Origi and, and Simicast, even the ones that are maybe a little bit more on the periphery of the usual starting eleven, the squad just seems so... They just all seem like they all love each other, don't they, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, there's some friendships there that you'd never think of, <laughs> like you wouldn't put them together and think those two were going to be good mates. I mean, Wolverine <clears throat> and Mo Salah was probably the weirdest bromance I could have possibly thought of, but Everyone loves Joel Matip. Um, everyone loves Van Dyke. That's what I mean with the Minamino yesterday. Is that's twice now where Liverpool have lifted a trophy, and the players have had to encourage him to enjoy them. But the yeah. first one was the title win when Henderson grabbed him and said, "Listen, go go and lift the trophy." He just seems a really shy character, and I know what you're saying, especially with the likes of reports Milner's going to get offered another contract. But I think when you are winning and you're doing well. I think it's, especially in this modern day now, uh, let's look at example United. What they've got in the dressing room is a million miles away from what Liverpool have got. And I just think at the moment, you just want to keep hold of it and you keep the players sweet who are on the, like you said, on the peripheral of the team, like an Oxlade-Chamberlain, like an Origi, a Minamino, where as long as they're putting medals around the necks, you know, it, it keeps them happy. Um when you're losing, that's when you've got problems. Um, but even when we were losing last year, you never questioned the spirit of the team. It was just yeah. mostly down to injuries. But 
yeah, I don't think there's a better squad in world football at the moment in terms of friendship and, and bond, you know, bonding between them because, you know, some of the scenes at the end there, it's um, it really was nice to see. Yeah, and it all comes from Klopp. Like, the squad really is built in his image, isn't it? You know, he's got that no dickhead policy as well where it's like, <laughs> even though you could be the best player in the world, but if your character's not right, your attitude's not right, you're not going to be playing for me. And I think just from Klopp to the, you know, the captain with Henderson, all the way through to the youth players like the likes of Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott, it just seems that like everyone's on the same page. And, and it's just, for Liverpool fans, it's really great to see and long may it continue. But um, going into a bit more detail on the game itself, we'll fast forward a little bit to the start of the game. And Chelsea probably started a bit quicker than it, didn't they? And it took Liverpool a little bit longer to get into their stride. But I think over the course of the... 120 minutes of normal time, Liverpool probably probably edged it. I think, like I say, at the start of the first half, maybe at the start of the second half, Chelsea probably had the clearer chances in terms of, you know, Mason Mount had a couple, he probably should have scored that Pulisic one we've already mentioned. But other than those little spells, I think Liverpool were probably in control of the game more so, perhaps only until when, you know, inevitably we had to make a few substitutions and the rhythm got away from us a little bit just because I think everyone was pretty knackered by that stage. But... On the whole, yeah. I think Liverpool probably would, would you know, the better team. I think the I think the first ten minutes of either half was Liverpool being slow to react to what Chelsea were throwing at them. I don't think Liverpool probably expected Chelsea to start as high up the pitch as they did. I think sometimes Marcus Alonso was playing, was not always playing left wing back, but sometimes he was playing on the edge of our box at certain points. You know, in that in that ten minutes um, in either half, but. I think Liverpool controlled the possession really well. Um, I think, obviously, we've mentioned this before, the teams that Liverpool hate to play are, um, you know, are teams who, who sit deep. And I think the longer that the game went on, you saw Chelsea sitting back deeper and deeper. And Liverpool were starting to create more chances. I mean, the Mendy double save, <clears throat> I've got no idea how he saved that second one. The first one's a brilliant save. Same. Um, yeah, and then there's the, you've got the Van Dijk header, which he somehow manages to claw away and yeah it was just just one of those both teams tried the hardest to score they gave it all that's why like you said that when the changes came plays legs were gone I mean Diaz looked like he couldn't walk at the 70th minute he yeah. just looked like um you know he looked like he was running in quicksand at, at one point but yeah I think like I said at the beginning of the show you know you're going to find it hard to find a more entertaining nil-nil draw than that. I thought, like I said, Liverpool bossed the possession for, um, and it was only a matter of time, really. Obviously, we went 1-0 up, but I'm sure we'll come on to that later. Um, but overall, I think Liverpool do deserve it. I think Chelsea just had those little moments, but I think Liverpool, had, like you said, had the majority of the game. Yeah, let's go into that that, that VAR decision now then, as you mentioned it. Um Obviously, there was a lot of VAR decisions in the game. Um, Chelsea's, all those offside goals they had as well. Um, for, for me, it was a, it was a kind of difficult to work out what they were really checking at, at the start because there was the the offside, potentially, that, that it was a question whether Van Dyke fouled Reese James in the build-up or whether Van Dyke was offside. It wasn't completely clear. Um, obviously, then it was a Mane header across Joel Matip to put in, but it was one of those marginal ones again. What was your take on that whole incident really um, at first I thought they were just looking at offside on Mane because Mane was so clear at the back post there was no Chelsea play around him I thought they went to VAR to see was Mane offside now 
straight away you knew Mane wasn't. And then it just feels like, it feels like this with VAR a lot recently, is they're just looking for any reason not to give it. Now, if, if Van Dijk, I mean, they, but they both have their arms around each other. Reese James has got his arm around Van Dijk's back. Van Dijk's got his arm around the front of Reese James. And even if Van Dijk isn't there, is James going to recover that amount of ground up in a short space of time to get to get across to Mane? I don't think he is. Um, it's something that Mane's been really good at, peeling away at the back post. And we've seen it a few times now since he's been at Liverpool where he's either flicked it back to the back post or he's did what he did yesterday and nodded it to the back post. But I think it's I think it's really harsh to not give it. Um, but like I said, at the moment with VAR, it just feels like they're looking for every reason not to give something. Yeah, there's a few, there's a few, isn't there, that, that seemed to happen recently. It seemed at the start of the season that maybe they got a bit better at using it. Um, it wasn't in the headlines quite as much. But I mean, this weekend particularly, if you look at, for example, what happened at Goodison Park with the Rodri handball, that's that was probably the worst decision you'll ever see, to be honest. Even we've had so many bad ones, but for me, I think even that that was probably the worst, the worst one. I can't imagine how whoever was on VR was it Chris Kavanagh, I think Frank Lampard was saying that how he can look at that and think it isn't a penalty kick. And then the Lukaku one as well, with even though it obviously would have been giving them the lead, it seemed I thought I thought we kind of got past the point where we're looking just for armpits for offsides now, but yeah, you know, it is what it is. And we're just thankfully that it didn't matter in the end. And, and obviously we went on to win, win on penalties. But yeah, even though it wasn't our game, let's just quickly mention that that incident at Goodson Park. So obviously massively impacts Liverpool, doesn't it, in the title race? Uh, if, if City draw 1-1 one, one, one there, it's really, you know, we're really in the driving seat and it could have huge ramifications at both ends of the table where Everton kind of fighting for their lives for relegation as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't watch the game. I didn't want to watch it because I didn't want to build my hopes up all Saturday because it was the late kickoff. And then five minutes into it, you know, my hopes and dreams have been dashed because that's just Everton, isn't it? But so I was driving driving back from the shop and I heard Trevor Sinclair going absolutely. I mean, Trevor Sinclair is a, is a bit of a bitter City fan. And to hear him even say, the referees messed up here. It's a clear and obvious mistake. And I thought, must be something about this. And then I saw it and I thought, there's been so many penalty decisions for handballs over the course of the year that weren't handballs that were given as handballs. So that um, the Jao Martino one against ah, City were Kyle, Kyle Walker is about four yards away from him, rattles the ball into the box. It hits Martino's armpit, but he can't move his arm. It's not even that his arm, though, is it? It's not even his, it's not even that one had better than even his arm, but yeah. But then it they give that, and then Rodri runs over and thinks he's playing volleyball and punches the ball away. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, my partner's an Evertonian, and I was saying to her um, full time, I said, take Liverpool out of the equation. I said, if you get relegated on goal difference, that point is going to be absolutely, yeah, it's going to be massive. It's it's it, it, Football is a, is a multi, multi-billion pound industry, as we all know now. And the ramifications of going from Premier League money to championship money, it, it, it's ridiculous. Um, and we've seen teams go down and never come back up again. Um, it, it's the hardest division to, to get out of the championship. So I think Frank Lampard had every right to be fuming at, from the press conferences I've seen afterwards. He's 
even bringing his three-year-old daughter into it, saying she could have probably told you it was handball. But yeah, it's. I feel like City are getting the rub of the green at the moment, and I think it's becoming more and more obvious to everyone else now because you can't hide that. That is the worst decision this season. Yeah, it's just like <clears throat> when people berate VAR. It's not. It's not VAR. It's, it's you know. It's the people using it. I think we've said before. There's a reason that no English officials were chosen for the last. World Cup and and it's just because whatever reason this current batch of Premier League referees are just not up to it. I don't I don't personally subscribe to conspiracy theories and thinking well you know one team gets more decisions over the other. I just think across the board they're just bad at their jobs and I don't know. There needs to there needs to come a point where officials are held more accountable for their mistakes, like players are, like the managers are. Frank Lampard will probably get fined or some kind of reprimand for his comments. But Chris Kavanagh will probably be doing a Premier League game, you know, on Saturday. So we'll have to wait and see. But let's get back to, obviously, the the main topic, which is Liverpool's ninth League Cup victory. And it was done on penalties. Um, penalties is always nervy, but, you know, the lads stepped up other than, I think, you know, Kanate's was, Kepa got a hand to Kanate's. But other than that, they're all, you know, expertly deliver penalties. But, which one was your was your favourite, James? The Van Dyke one, hands down, <laughs> is, is the best penalty of them all because he's Kepa's just saying to him, "Go on, it 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 it's it to my left hand side because you're not going to aim for my right hand side because I'm basically stood on the post and yeah. the band, and it the bit for me though it's the look back, yeah. he stirs him for about five seconds as he's walking back as if to say, "You're going to have to do something better than that." Yeah, <laughs> like that that's not that's not going to be enough. So I think the Van Dyke one is the best one because I think Gary Lineker tweeted out before it's in his top 10 favourite penalties of all time, yeah, um, that Van Dyke one. Sense. Yeah, um, I think that one or maybe, or the Fabinho one as well, I think. <laughs> and I'm sorry, to, to do that as the second penalty in a shootout, the, the confidence he's got is absolutely massive. So, I mean, it's a flip of the coin between them two, but them two definitely stand out. I couldn't believe it when Fabinho did that. I was half just in shock. I know almost half of me was actually a bit annoyed that he'd even tried, like, <laughs> that he'd risked such a high, you know, like a high-risk penalty attempt doing a Penenka in, in the penalty shootout. Because if that goes wrong, you know, we're absolutely fuming, aren't we? But thankfully, it works out and it looked magnificent. And with all the antics that Kepa was doing on, on that line, the fact that he didn't even get close to any, any of them and all of them <laughs> he was really, like... You know, fair enough, you do what you got to do, but we've seen it work in our favour before. We, you know, Jersey Dudek, Bruce Groblard doing whatever distraction tactics, but Kepper was really into the shithousery yesterday, wasn't he? And it, and it just was wonderful to see none of it pay off. But do, do you remember when Joe Hart did it for England against Italy at the yeah. Euros, where he was like pulling his tongue out and trying to intimidate, like making roaring noises at Perlo, and then Perlo just penenkered yeah. him as well? It's If it comes off, it looks great. But if it, you know, like the Van Dyke one, if Van Dyke had hit it straight at Kepa, everyone's going to look at Van Dyke and go, "You knob! Like, why? Why have you hit it there? Why are you trying to make a point in a penalty shootout?" Well, luckily, like you said, it went in our favour. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I still don't get. I know Kepa has done well in penalty shootouts, but there's something about that Mendy where I just think when he's on form, I don't think anyone's scoring past him, and I felt a lot more confident when Kepa came on than Mendy. 
Yeah, and Mendy saved a few in the Af- in African Cup of Nations as well. So it's difficult because obviously it's worked for them before, and you just if it's worked for you before, that's what you do. I think in the Super Cup against Villarreal, they subbed Kepa on for the penalties and Kepa saved penalties. Um, before it's a tactic that we've seen. You know, the most famous example is probably in the World Cup where Tim Krul came on for the Netherlands. Um, but when it doesn't work out, you're going to get criticised, aren't you? That's that. That's the main thing, and. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's enough of a. I don't think Kepa is significantly better than Mendy enough to to warrant the sub, if that makes sense. Like, I know it's worked for them before, but if Mendy was horrendous at saving penalties, then it makes more sense. If, but but yeah. he's probably, you know, he's one of the best keepers in the world, so he's probably pretty good at doing it himself. Yeah, I mean, and let's, let's be real, Kepa will have known that if he's going to play any action on Sunday, it would have been for a penalty shootout. So he's had all week to prepare where does Mo Salah take his penalties 50, no, most of the time? Which way does James Milner go most of the time? And he's clearly not done his homework because like he said, he got nowhere near any of the penalties. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just a, tra- a strange one. We saw it at the Euros. England brought Sancho on and, um, and Rashford on to take penalties. Uh, I think to bring somebody on cold I think I think it's a bit of a rest, really, especially in a in a cup final. If they were playing, no disrespect, but if Chelsea were playing a lower league Premier League side or a Championship side, and you brought Kepper on, you know, go for yeah, fair enough. I think you know Kepper could still do a good job, but this is Liverpool with elite penalty takers and elite players, and I, I think you know a lot more questions of about that decision of being asked now today because of because of how. Paul, he was at the penalty shoot. Like I said, he got nowhere near any of them. Yeah. So it just makes the decision look even worse. And looking at some of you know the individual performances for Liverpool yesterday, I think there's a few that stand out that Luis Diaz, let's talk about him for a little bit because he looks like a real player, doesn't he? Obviously, we've had a few injuries in the forward um, line at the moment with Jota only making the bench and Bobby Firmino's got an injury at present. So, But he looks like... Michael Edwards has done it again, doesn't he? Like, how good was he? I think for me, he's probably Liverpool's best player in, in the match. He was unbelievable <laughs> yesterday. And if he's like this after only a month at the club, I hate to think what he's for other teams, what he's going to be like when he's got a full preseason in him and he starts the season from fresh. Um, I think that flick over Reese James's head and then the no look pass to Mane is just just yeah. watch that on loop and, and never get tired of watching it. But watched the game back again today and I, it's very rare that we've seen a Liverpool player winger hug the sidelines as much as he does yeah. he's literally willing to put the ball right on the line and, and to dribble with the ball you've seen Mane over the years loves to cut inside Salah obviously loves to cut inside and hit it with his left foot but I think with Diaz he just offers something completely different because I think right backs and left backs in this day and age are expecting players to cut inside all the time so I think to have someone who's got the ability to to cut inside, we've seen it for Porto and we've seen it sometime, but a few times for Liverpool since he's joined where he will cut inside. Um, but the way he goes down the line, it's it's a real joy to behold because it just adds something completely different to Liverpool now. Yeah, it's an, like another dimension to a, an attacking three or four that are already unbelievable. So just to add a, like a fifth guy in there who's in his own way can bring something different and is equally as fantastic and skillful and strong as well. Like he holds the ball up really well. And you know, when he's coming under pressure from, from fullbacks, 
you know, I, I was always confident that he had the better of Chalba in that channel every single time that he was coming up against him yesterday. And really exciting to see what he does in the future. Um, so many players have obviously contributed to this League Cup win over, over the course of the season. Minamino and Origi, the two that really stick out because they've obviously played a lot in the earlier rounds and, and scored big goals. Um, Minamino at one point scored, or I think he was scoring goals every single round, wasn't he, up until a certain point. So when, obviously, the final yesterday, Origi came on, Minamino unused, but Klopp made the point that it's not just, you know, your, your usual suspects that have contributed to this. Costa Simicast, another one that played a lot at left-back. Trent didn't play that many games at right-back. Um, so this is really a win for the whole squad and it should hopefully give everyone a boost, not just those that played. Yeah, it, it's massive, for, like we said before, for the fringe players and for the academy players as well, the likes of Tyler Morton, who has seen his minutes sort of dwindle a little bit since Liverpool's midfield has come, come back together again. But it just gives them lads who... You know, at the training ground now, the academy and the first team are all together at the training ground. They're going to see them players coming in now with the probably with the medals around the next day. The, the trophies, obviously, going to be with them. Um, I think it it breeds confidence to them. They know there's a route now that yeah, I might not play every week in the Premier League, but there's still a chance I could you know have a medal around my neck and place a part in another competition. And you know, Minamino scored that decisive goal to take it to penalties against Leicester. If he doesn't score that, we don't don't get through the quarterfinals. And I think as well as when we did play in the earlier rounds, when we played Norwich, it was their second team. And then we played Preston. I think you've got to have the players with the right mentality because some players will get dropped into them sort of games and they'll think, well, I'm, I'm too good for this game. So I'm not going to put all the effort in. I'm going to save myself for the Premier League. But yeah. Fair play to them. They've, you know, they've they've treated it every game when they've been playing like it's a Champions League final. They've run themselves into the ground and they haven't given up fighting until until the last minute. Um, like I said, for the academy players to see them lads walking back in today or tomorrow or or when it is, um, you know, <laughs> I think that that's the most important thing is they now see a route to silverware despite not even playing in the Premier League for Liverpool. And obviously, that I guess the only negative from yesterday was what happened to Thiago before before the game. He was obviously in line to, to start, but an injury in the warm up means that Kate had to come in. Um, I think it was a hamstring issue um, at this stage. Obviously, there's no timeline or anything that's been given. I think he was going for a scan today to check how severe it is. Obviously, we know how important Thiago is and how good he is, and hopefully, it's you know it's as minor as it can be. But seeing him. He was very visibly upset, wasn't he, before the game with Allison. Um, it's just, it was just a really awful thing to, to to see before the final. And if he is out for, you know, a sustained period of time, it's going to be a big miss. Yeah, it's the same old story with with Thiago. It's we get him back for three games, he starts to set the world alight, and then he gets injured again for another five, and then it's just a uh, it's just the inevitable roller coaster with with Thiago, but. You know, I think the way Liverpool are playing, you know, at the moment, this moment in time, fingers crossed, it isn't a serious injury because he could be possibly playing in, you know, another two finals this season. You know, at least one, I think, um, given the Champions League and the FA Cup, depending on the draws there. But I mean, <coughs> considering Naby must have had about 15, 20 minutes notice that he was starting, I think he deserves a big shout out because 
I don't think I've seen Kante look so ineffective in a game. And, and I just think that was because of Naby's pressing and the way he didn't really give Kante room to breathe. It was, I think it was the sloppiest Kante we've ever seen. Uh, gave the ball quite a, a lot. Gave the ball away quite a lot in his own half. Um, and I think that all goes down to Nabian, as we were just literally saying 30 seconds ago. It's it's all about that next man up and taking your chance when you get it. And that's Liverpool at the moment. The, the squad is so tightly knitted and it doesn't matter who comes in. You're always confident they're going to do a job. But I do think Naby deserves deserves a big shout out for yesterday. Yeah, and I think sometimes Kaitas, you know, gets a bit overlooked what he brings to the team. Everyone knows what Fabinho's role is. Henderson, you know, Thiago, their key attributes are a lot more obvious than, than, than Naby's, I think. And I think sometimes people, because of his injury history as well, overlook him a little bit. But hopefully, you know, trying to turn a negative into a positive, if Thiago is out for a week or two, Kaita can try and really pin down that third midfield spot now. Yeah, I think there have been spells this season um, with Naby where he's looked really impressive. You know, you look back to the Champions League games, uh, the volley against Atletico Madrid, the volley against Crystal Palace um, and the beginning of the season. Um, I think it's just, again, what the media do and what people do on Twitter, which is why Twitter is a, it's horrible for football, is they just throw the price tag at him and go, this is what you got for 50 million. And I think he'll even admit himself it, it hasn't gone well, as, as well as he'd probably hoped. But I think injuries has a lot to do with that. I don't think it's down to his actual ability. He's just been very unfortunate with injuries, as we're seeing with Thiago. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think he was unbelievable yesterday. Um, and he he run Kante ragged. And that goes to say everything, because this is Kante, who has been PFA Player of the Year twice, I think he's, he's yeah, won well. it now. Um, he's won a World Cup and... To be thrown straight into the game, like I said, to mentally prepare yourself. You think, right, you're on the bench and then you're going to come on and make an impact if when you're called upon. And then you're actually now starting a game. I, I think it deserves huge credit for it. And so, obviously, this is it's, we've spoken about how important it was to get that trophy in, in the cabinet, the psychological boost it can bring for the rest of the season. We're still competing on all fronts, Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup. There's been obviously a lot of talk since yesterday about whether Liverpool can do the unprecedented, what's never been seen before, and win all four competitions. Can we do it? Oh, I, d- I definitely think there could be three. and the, the, the fourth one that I'm not so confident on, that, that that's put in doubt, is the Premier League. And it's just because... I'm seeing City get these decisions and I'm just thinking, listen, this is <laughs> this isn't great. Um, I definitely think the Champions League is I think we're as likely as to win that as any of the other as any of the other cups. Um, I don't think anyone wants to play, even though the away goal rule is gone this year. I don't think there's anyone in Europe who wants to play us over two legs. Um, I think if you ask Manchester City, do they want to play us over two legs? They'd say no. Um They'd rather play somebody else, but yeah. Do you know what? I'm changing my mind. Yeah, I do think they can do it. I've just, I've just slowly, slowly convinced myself. Yeah, I definitely think they can do it. I think this is a team that we've been so lucky to see. I mean, there's you know you hear stories from family members who 
watch the team in the in the sixties and seventies, the eighties, and they tell you about this glory period of Liverpool, and then we've grown up on Igor Bishkan and Bruno Sheru, and, <laughs> and so to go to see that and then to see this team, it, it's completely chalk and cheese, and listen, they have everything that every great team has ever had. To, to go and do, we've seen how many teams win trebles. Barcelona win trebles. Into Milan have won a treble. United have won a treble. And you could easily put this Liverpool team up against any of those. And Liverpool could easily come out yeah. in a one off game, could come out as winners. So, yeah, I'm going to say we can do it. But what do you think? I love the optimism. I think I was the same as you. Same as you. I think the Premier League is going to be the biggest hurdle. And City have obviously got that little, had that little cushion. We've cut it down and cut it down. There's still a lot of massive games to go for both teams. We've got to go to the Etihad. That's going to be absolutely huge um, in April, depending on what the points situation is like. I think before then, we've got to play Man United. I think both of us, City and us, have got to play Man United. Um, yeah, they've got them this weekend, I think. Yeah, uh, exactly. So it's really tough to say. I probably think we'll just fall short in one of them just because it's never happened before and there's always something that you don't expect, you know, FA Cup this week against Norwich. I think we'll, we'll go through that, but I think there'll be another twist somewhere along the line that we might fall undone in one of the competition. I'm just not sure where that will be. I would be, I'd be disappointed now if you say to me that we're not going to win the trophy this season. I think if, if we don't win anything else this season, it will be, it will be a, a bit of a pill to swallow because the way that the squad is at the moment in terms of its fitness, in terms of its depth, I think it's as good as it's ever been under Klopp. I think we've got four centre-halves who are all potentially world-class or at least can play, you know, Champions League elite level. We've got a midfield which, on its day, is one of the best, can be one of the best in Europe with the likes of Fabinho and Thiago. I think they're two of the best midfielders in Europe. And then we've got five really, really elite forwards now with the addition of Diaz and this isn't even you know considering the likes of Origi and Minamina who are pretty <laughs> decent backups as well so probably talking myself into it a little bit the more that I'm thinking about it like you but I think the squad is is in the best shape it's ever been under Klopp and it's really exciting and to see where it will go in the next next couple of years because I think it can only get better especially if we you know bring in even more midfielders in the summer which I think will be an area that will be looked at so We'll have to wait and see. I think we'll probably like to answer the question. We'll probably will fall short in one of them, but it's all it's you know it's looking really promising. I think where it'll where that little turn and twist that you're talking about is when we play City on the 9th or the 10th of April, the Champions League quarterfinal games are either side of that fixture. Yeah. So what if it's depending on who you, if we, <laughs> yeah, if we've got City, we've got to play City three three games in a row. That's what I think is going to be the stick or twist. I think it's going to be that that week. Yeah. That, that Them three games are going to define our season and they're going to define City season as well. There's a lot of football to still be played. Um, this week, there's obviously two more games for Liverpool. <clears throat> as I mentioned, we play Norwich in the Cup. We won't go into too much detail on that just because we've not got a great deal of time left. But the biggest game will obviously this week is going to be West Ham at home. Um, West Ham have obviously had another really good season under Moyes. Um, still fighting for that top four spot. I think they're, you know, at the time of recording, they're, they're in fifth place and, you know, still very much in touch and distance with Man United, who have been, you know, consistently inconsistent as Man United have been probably for the last three years. But 
it's going to be a tough game. It's at Anfield. Obviously, West Ham beat us earlier this season at the London Stadium. We know what they can do. We know how dangerous they can be. They've got some really talented players. But how do you see this one playing out? Um, I think this is going to be a tough game. I think with it being an evening kickoff, uh, I hate evening kickoffs on a Saturday because I just think the day gets dragged out for a game. And yeah, and, um, yeah there's just something about lunchtime kickoffs and late kickoffs <laughs> are the, the absolute worst. But I think. I watched the I watched West Ham on yesterday um, when I was out, and I mean, let's not get this Wolves team is a very talented Wolves team and have been playing well all season, um, and for them to shut them out, I can't remember Wolves having a really decent opportunity. The I think with what we've seen with Moyes, especially when it was at Everton and now at West Ham, and he's tried to instill it in all the other clubs he's gone to Sunderland, Sociedad, and United is being solid at the back. I'm working your way up the pitch now. He's got Declan Rice, who is a really good number six, in front of Kurt Zuma um, and Craig Dawson's playing there at the moment. I just think Ogbon is injured. So I think that's where Liverpool will probably look to hit West Ham because he's, he's not blessed with a lot of pace, Craig Dawson. He turns like a truck sometimes. But um, yeah, it's going to be tough as Antonio always seems to pull a goal out against us and there's just always something about West Ham even when before Moyes was there there's just always something about them and I think now you're coming to a point of the season where a lot of teams have got stuff to fight for whether that be the top four whether that be relegation or the title so every game now for Liverpool is going to feel like a cup final and I'm still I'm confident we'll, we'll get the game done um, I think you know it'll be 2-3-0 um, but I'm not expecting a Leeds, a Leeds game like yeah. it was last Wednesday. I'm expecting this one to be a lot tighter. Yeah, I think West Ham, like you say, they've got threat. So many different threats, haven't they? Attacking-wise, Antonio, Jared Bowen's having a season of his life. Um, even the likes of Ben Rama and Lanzini can be dangerous off the bench or if they're, if they're starting. But they probably don't have a great deal of depth in the squad. That's probably what an area they're lacking is depth in that forward, you know, particularly that from number nine position. Um, seems a bit crazy that they kind of sold Sebastian Haller now, so you know what he's doing doing at Ajax. But um, <laughs> it, it will be it will be a tricky game. We know what Moyes' teams are all, all about and they'll probably come and, you know, keep it tight, sit deep and then try and use those attacking guys on, on, on the counter. But this is, now we've got these a bit more depth in those forward areas. How do you see the, the, the team selection, particularly for that front three for the West Ham game? Obviously, we don't know who's going to play against Norwich, but with Jota fit again, do you think you'll stick with the Diaz, Mane, Salah, or maybe maybe Diaz drops out? Or I think because Diaz and Mane both prefer that left channel, they're the two who are probably more likely to alternate, would you say? Yeah, I, I think if there's going to be any changes, <clears> I think he'll take Diaz out. And he'll bring Jota back in and he'll have Mane down that left-hand side. Um, because I think, like I just said, with Craig Dawson, depending on which side he's playing, either left centre-back or right centre-back, um, if, he's, if he's playing at down West Ham's right side, then you have Mane running at him for 70 minutes, 65 minutes, and then you bring Diaz on to, to keep the pressure on. I think, I mean, you've got to have Jota really back in the starting eleven. He's been... We spoke about him last week. I said when Mane and Salah went to the African Cup of Nations, he carried the team on his back with some big goals and some, some really big games for Liverpool. 
Carabao Cup semi-final, Brentford at home, Palace away. And I just think if you had to ask Klopp what his preferred front three is, it's still, I think it would be Mane, Jota and Salah. Um, and I think whatever the team is on Wednesday will be a good insight to, to which to what he's going to go with. I think um, if Jota gets, if Jota plays the majority of the game, then I think that puts him in a good position to start. Um, but yeah, yeah um, again, squad depth, Liverpool, it's never been a thing that's been gone hand in hand before, but this is just where we're at now. We're talking about who do you drop, Diaz or Jota or Mane. Yeah. <laughs> it's, exactly. it's getting getting quite ridiculous at the moment. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for, for three points. But obviously just before we go, um, I guess it would be a miss of us not to mention what's going on in, in Ukraine at the moment. And Klopp spoke really you know, eloquently about it, as he always does on these kind of social, political, whatever you want to describe it as issues. Um, he was saying how he can't believe that this kind of thing could happen in 2022. And, you know, there's not much we can do as, <clears throat> sorry, there's not much we can do as your, your average, average Joe, I guess. But as Klopp said, when it comes to the football, it, it's secondary to this kind of humanitarian stuff. Um, all our thoughts at the Anfield Central podcast, obviously with the, the people of Ukraine and what they're dealing with right now. But as Klopp said, for at least 90 minutes, football can take your mind off some of the some of the worst things that are going on in the world. And that's all we can can do really is, is send our thoughts and prayers, isn't it, James? And as Klopp, as always, speaks so well on this kind of thing. I'd, I'd, I've never seen a manager get society as well as he does. Yeah. I think he calls everything so spot on, whether it's come from um, Liverpool, uh, the ticket price was rising um, when they tried to do that a couple of years ago, FSG, um, from the vaccinations, from lockdowns to Brexit, <laughs> and now um, on you know, what's going on in Ukraine at the moment. Um, it, it just seems to get it so spot on. And I think... You need more. We need more people like Jurgen Klopp in the world, in Parliament, and running every country because it's, it's exactly spot on what he's saying. Football is a, it's a safe haven, really, for ninety minutes. That you forget everything that's going on in your life, and it's you know we've seen it up and down the country. We've seen it um, all over Europe. The support for Ukraine at the moment. Um, you know, Benfica, the striker. Remember his name? They gave him the captain's armband when he came off the bench, and this, you know, football does seem to be, you know, helping in, in in that regards to to draw the attention to what's going on to sort of echo it to, for something to happen because something's got to change. Um, but it's in reality, though, it, it is sad that we have to use football as an escape from from what's going on in the real world, but. Once again, Jurgen Klopp nails it, gets it absolutely spot on. And, you know, you just hope that everything's back to normal as quick as it can be because the last thing you want is, is something like this to, to drag out for years and years because, you know, Liverpool not so long ago were playing in Champions League final in Kiev and everyone came back. I, I know friends who, who went to that final and came back and said it was a beautiful city, wonderful people, kind people and, yeah, to see what's going on, it's it is heartbreaking. Yeah, well said. And uh, like I said, all of our thoughts will be with everyone affected by it by that invasion at the moment. So, 
hopefully the situation changes. But we'll be back next week for more chats about Liverpool. Um, we'll bring you all of the latest from the West Ham game as well as previewing the next matches for the Reds. But until then, you can still get plenty of content from us on our website at anfieldcentral.co.uk and on our Twitter page as well, which is anfield underscore central. Thank you and goodbye.